Hey, this is Alex with the Unbiased Trailblazer podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify so you can catch every new episode that we post. Also, follow us on Twitter at Unbiased Blazers. In our bio, there's a link to join our Discord server where you can join in on the discussion. You can give us takes, comments, questions for us to talk about on future episodes. Now, let's get to the show. Rip City, baby. Welcome to a very special edition of the Unbiased Trailblazer podcast. This is episode 15, and we have a guest speaker here that uh, I'm really excited to talk with. Uh, His name is Pierce, and he actually was at one point a Portland Trailblazer, I believe, basketball analyst. Is that correct? That is correct. So we're going to just kind of get a little interview here with Pierce, talk about his experience with the Blazers, and then kind of his thoughts and feelings on last year, this year, and what to look forward to. Uh, So with that being said, Pierce, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. Uh, As Alex has kind of alluded to, my name's Pierce. I was a basketball analyst for the Portland Trailblazers back in 2015 up until 2017. Uh, You know, unfortunately, my basketball career didn't, didn't uh, follow suit after that. I've been analyst for um, accounting companies, healthcare companies, and now a legal firm um, up to this point. And so, um, yeah, big Blazer, uh, big Blazers fan, obviously, um, and just kind of excited to uh, be able to share my experience. And hopefully, your listeners will be able to kind of get insights of what was what, what my job was like and how did I even get it, and just kind of what the day to day things that the scouting department um, kind of looks at. Yeah. I mean, I was, when, when you joined the server and said that that's what you did, I was immediately, I was like, okay, we got to see if we can get an interview. Cause that sounds like such an interesting job. I mean, we sit here and we essentially analyze and talk about our feelings and thoughts on the blazers right now. And you're actually getting to do it for the blazers. So I was like, this is just perfect scenario right here. We got to get you in here. Uh, we don't have Mike as of right now. He might be joining later, but we do have Fawad. So I'm going to throw it to Fawad to ask, ask the next question. Go ahead, Fawad. So just we want to know a little bit more about like what specifically your job title was and how long you worked there. Like when did you start? How did you start? Just stuff like that. Yeah. So I first saw um, the job posting for the Portland Trailblazers um back in early 2015 i think they start opening positions up in um april i believe and i remember you know as a as a college student at the time i was super interested in getting into the gig and wanted to um do anything basketball related um my back my background before that was you know i used to be the, the water boy in high school i didn't have the athletic gifts uh and skill to kind of succeed in high school i mean my highest level of playing basketball technically is was i was i only made the freshman team in high school um and you know unfortunately i'm pretty good at basketball now i'm a if you think like boris dl that's kind of my skill set can shoot can go in the post really good passer um just unfortunately kind of grew too late for high school um but even before uh even during high school you know i was the water boy for just one year and then i progressed to um, helping the coaching staff scout out the freshman team and at my high school. 
and everything like that. So what led up to uh, me applying for this position is I would always look at the Trailblazers website and their jobs career page and see if anything popped up that was related to um, anything basketball operation. Because anytime you look at their career page, it's usually for the Rose Garden or I guess now the Moda Center um, about like, hey, if you want to be a security guard or if you want to be a concessions worker. And I just remember when I first saw that, hey, you can work in the as a video analyst for the Portland Trailblazers apply here. And that's when I, that's when it got pretty real at that point. So, um, yeah, it started in 2015. I applied as probably one of a thousand applicants that went through that process. Um, and I was an analyst between 2015 and the end of summer of 2017. So you essentially started doing the analyst stuff in high school, then it sounds like. I was, you know, this actually, I graduated high school back in 2012. So this was about getting, uh, right after I finished community college, heading to PSU, um, which is uh, for folks that aren't uh, Oregon or Portland natives. That's the uh, Portland State University. Um, And, you know, it's like kind of the coolest side gig I could possibly have while attending college was uh, get to watch watch basketball for a living. Um, and we can we can uh, we'll we'll discuss later, but it's definitely not as glamorous as the title uh, may have uh, may may have suggested. So, can you kind of explain like what your job was while you were there? Yeah. So, um, the 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 simplest terms I always kind of put it whenever I say I'm a basketball analyst. Um, I always kind of use the uh, word tendencies uh, tracker. Um, uh, we, I was part of a group of uh, people who watched uh, opposing teams' uh, game film. And what we did is we used to track everything from um, pick and roll to defensive sets to rebounding, out of bounds, even the half court half court heaves at the end of the shot uh, at the end of the quarters. Um, and what that strictly meant was, uh, from a tracking purpose. Um, instead of your traditional box score where, you know, you account points, rebounds, um, assists, turnovers, and everything like that, what the Blazers have come up with their own in-house tendency tracker. So um, we would watch players, um, how, you know, defenses would react to certain pick-and-roll coverages or how teams rebound. Or, you know, if we're, I'm watching Kawhi Leonard and he goes right on the screen, how many dribbles will he take before he does a pull-up or he passes out and everything like that. So a lot of the crux was just a lot of tracking players' tendencies and teams' tendencies and putting that into some type of data analytical, you know, format for the coaching staff to kind of digest and set up game plans for. Um, And so from a typical basketball quarter standpoint, we have 12 minutes of basketball playing time. It took about 45 to an hour and a half to do one quarter of, of basketball um, tendency tracker uh, to be able to suss out everything. And we're talking everything from, you know, you know, offensive sets, but, you know, you also have to do defensive sets for every, for every play too. So you have to track like who was the main person on the pick and roll and everything like that. Um, And we can, I can go a little bit more detail later on, but uh, kind of like everything else. um, One of the great sayings that really applied for this job, it's not about the destinations, about the journey. And that's what uh, tendency tracking was all about. It's about the the first domino that would fall that led up to that basket or that shot being created, yeah, um, exactly. which is really meticulous. Um, 
definitely from a tracking standpoint. Wow, that's pretty interesting. I was I was wondering, like, I wanted to ask you how different um, some of the analytics and stats were that, like, the team actually does and compared to, like, what's publicly available. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, from a – and, you know, what kind of – I believe what ended up not um, – I, I I left naturally from the Portland Trailblazers to pursue a more uh, you know more reliable income job um, after after college, but um, I believe my department got replaced by Synergy Sports eventually. Anyways, and I you know if you're not part of the whole analytical um, uh, news within the NBA or just in the sports liner, uh, sports world, um, Synergy Sports is like the go-to AI you know assisted tracking. Um, data, uh, data, NBA database that tracks all like the, you know, you hear the statistics like CJ McCollum runs 26 uh, miles every year sure. on the basketball court. That's the type of stuff that Synergy does. So I think that that's what ended up happening to the department eventually because it's just easier and cheaper instead of hiring, you know, a bunch of college students yeah, to do kind exactly. of the grunt work. Um, but it's certainly still like, you know, the, the, the number one thing on my resume in terms of like, the coolest job I probably will ever have. For sure. Um, Go ahead, Fawad. If you did, you have another question for him. Um, yeah, I'll just uh, continue on. I thought I cut out for a second. Um, sorry. Yeah. So, did you like? get to meet with the coaching staff to discuss what you found or how did that work? And did you ever talk to any of the players? So, um, unfortunately, uh, was, you know, all the, uh, the glamor that came with the, the coolness of the trailblazers, uh, did not come with the accessibility of actually meeting the player or coaches. Um, I, you know, the job itself was a, you know, uh, you know, before working from home, <laughs> was cool during covid that's what the job was strictly about is a remote job and the only por- uh, person of a contact is the uh, video coordinator manager uh, which i would assume would report to the video coordinator coach which you know last year was coach yim um and so that was kind of the hierarchy there wasn't any kind of special perks i didn't like hang out with dame on the weekends unfortunately <laughs> or you know shoot hoops with like maurice harkless or anything like that um, um, and even from like a discount, like kind of perks and benefits, like, um, you know, I, I recall like the only perk is that we only got like 5% off game tickets. Um, oh. So it was, it wasn't like this glamorous, like I wasn't rolling up in a, in a Range Rover as soon as I got this job. It was, you know, it, it was a really meticulous, tedious job. And, but, you know, from all that grunt work that kind of led up to that is it was really rewarding. Yeah. Um, to kind of, you know, see the team, especially during those seasons, 2015, 2017, that was, um, I believe, the one of the year after L.A. left. And that was kind of like, oh, sh- you know, shoot, we're going to be pretty bad. Um, it might as well just kind of, you know, help the, the team not be that yeah. good or, you know, be a little bit better. But we ended up, I believe, being fifth in the West that year. Um, and I like to kind of glow and be like, oh, yeah, I was totally the reason why we were fifth in the West <laughs> that year. <laughs> I, hey i'll take it yeah absolutely if i if i was able to make uh mason plumley uh or so yeah was it mason yeah it was mason plumley yeah um yep. you know uh do better at his job at the end of the day with his def- uh with his life uh 
with his defensive liabilities, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that's a shining star. We attribute those wins to you. If yes. you can't use Paul Allen's yacht, what's the, what's the point of working for the Trailblazers? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, and, and let me go back to, um, you know, how I even got this job in the first place. So, um, you know, you mentioned the coaching staff. I didn't meet with them, but I did have a, a you know, my point man was my video coordinator uh, manager. And that whole process was really meticulous. You know, uh, I, I didn't really go into the details about how, how this whole came to be so you know i applied for this position and i you know i took a couple weeks to even hear any back because you know after i heard like over a thousand applicants got this job i was like okay i probably didn't get it any here back until i got applied in april that year i think i got word back in june going hey we're we're interested uh we re- really liked your cover letter. I'm known f- for really good cover letters. I remember staying up for like two days straight, putting my heart and soul <laughs> into this cover letter. And you know, it's really hard to convince a basketball organization that you're really knowledgeable b- about basketball when you only you only succeeded at freshman level of playing. And I think what sure. really kind of yeah, what really stood out was you know, d- and you know, even in high school, you know, I mentioned that you know. I knew all the contracts by heart. I, I could name, you can name like any player like Andre Miller. I knew he got paid $11 million a year. I knew his his bonuses. I knew everything. Um, not because, you know, I was trying to be a salary person, but that's how, how interested in basketball I was. And so I, I put my heart and soul into this cover letter, which I still hold like almost hanging up on my wall to this day to kind of like pointing to like, oh man, anything's possible. You know, I could probably exactly. apply to be, um, you know, a lawyer without any, um, without a law degree, which <laughs> definitely would not recommend, but it's one of those things where it really stows confidence but over that course of the, of those couple months. Um, you know, I got quizzed, I got, you know, tested. There was this whole, um, you know, this almost like NBA Blazers university webpage that they would take you to, um, that, you know, they would ask you, Hey, do you know what pick and roll is? Or do you know what the rules of the game are? Or, do you know, like, just kind of the simple stuff so you're not kind of faking it till you're making it kind of deal with at least that uh, portion of it? Um, and if that whole process took from June to September as far as quality checks in terms of, like, hey, do you know the game? Do you track this? And then they gave me a couple samples of, you know, how, you know, the how, how we would track it on the computer. Are you comfortable doing that? So um, it wasn't a, you know, hey, I got, you know, a weak process of, like, hey, do you know anything about basketball? Great. You're going to start. It was a whole two month endeavor of, you know, this Lambo, if I was going to even be uh, put on the team for that season. So um, I, I just want to reiterate is it was definitely a tedious, or tedious, meticulous process in terms of how they were hiring back then. So actually I want to ask you two questions here and one of them is not on our list of questions. So it's kind of a surprise question here did did they like give you like the next game on the schedule and said okay go watch the game film or was it more of like a week out process you need to watch this film and get back to us great question and um you know they actually so it was a group of our uh, group of analysts um i think a, a team between maybe eight to a dozen people or so i was a part of and what they did is that they prioritized their game schedules for upcoming opponents. So if we were to, if we were going to play the Pistons next week, um, they would prioritize all Piston game film 
be analyzed up until we play them that week. And then, you know, the next team, the Grizzlies, the the Lakers, the, 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 the Nuggets, the world. And so we actually never watched Blazers games itself. Um, <laughs> Because that was just that was just the coaching staffs, uh, the the main coaching staffs to kind of digest and everything, and player development uh, people of the, of the organization. We were strictly in charge of of like the um, the grunt work, the the up, upcoming opponents and everything like that. So they had a hub where you were able to cl- uh, claim quarters of games, okay, where gotcha. I would be able to say like, "Hey, I can do quarter one and two of this Pistons versus Hawks game." Gotcha. Um, and like I said, we would have to download the game from the NBA archive. And um, from there, it was a lot of pausing and rewinding <laughs> of, of, you know, this pick and roll coverage. You know, at the time, it was probably, you know, oh, Al Horford posts up on the block and he spun right and did a little mini hook shot. And then you would have to say, oh, JaVale McGee, who was guarding him, he was just a little late in terms of contesting. And we had a whole sorts of dictionary definitions in terms of how contests were. If a player was about their apex, uh, met their apex on their jump, that was a really good contest. If they were even just a little bit late on their jump where, you know, you see the LeBrons or the Kawhis when they fade away on the jump shot and that defender is just barely right behind them, that would count as a late contest. So, um, from like the NBA world, it's really hard to kind of judge these professionals of like, you know, what's what's a good contest in high school and even in college might be a super late contest in the sure. NBA just because the the details and the spacing matters. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's that's typically how it went. It was a lot of the um, you know upcoming games instead of like there wasn't like a hey I get to do all the Lakers or hey I get to do all the Golden State or the Spurs. It was it was just based off who is coming up on our schedule next and whoever could do them. Gotcha. So that leads me to my next question that is on the list. Do you, do you have a hard time watching basketball now and not like overanalyzing it or feeling yourself analyzing it? No, I get that question a lot. And actually, um, no, I think from the experience I've had, it actually enhances it by tenfold. Sure. Um, you know, from a casual from a casual standpoint, like, you know, we casual viewer, like look for the cool, you know, uh, LeBron dunks or the uh, Dwight Howard blocks at the time or anything like that. But um, when you do this job for two, uh, for two years, you realize there's a lot of details on the court that you kind of pick up on. Um, You realize a lot of teams run the same inbounds, for example, inbound plays, or you realize that, um, you look at players' body language and you realize like, oh, he, he screwed up the, on this defensive assignment or even like the kind of the big overarching things. Like you, you get the kind of the tendency to realize that like, oh, you know, it's not always the center's fault that player, you know, they, they gave up the basket. It was actually the point guard's fault for, you know, allowing that drive lane to be created in the first place. So a lot of, a lot of the times it was, you know, I, you know, even from watching to uh, games this day, I always kind of keep back in mind, like, oh, this is how I would track that play, um, yeah. and just kind of do it on the fly, which certainly has not ruined basketball for me, thank God. Um, but I can totally see, you know, if you know people putting, you know, more than forty hours a week at doing this job, um, I can definitely see them not watch basketball anymore because how tedious uh, quarter watching was. Now, let me ask you one little quick question, because I know you said you recently got married before we uh, started the podcast. 
Does your yes. does your wife watch this with you? And does she, for me at least when I'm watching the games and I turn into Mister Analyst too, and I'll start saying, "Look at this, look at this." My wife starts to get annoyed because she just wants to watch the game or pretend to watch the game. Does, does that happen with you? Um, I'm a I'm a quiet I'm a quiet watcher, so I don't necessarily you know I I always apl- uh, applaud her when she does want to watch the games. It's definitely she's not the uh, the sports wife. Um, you know, Gene of like, hey, I want to watch games with you. She usually does sure. her own thing, um, which is like all good because like, you know, some games are really stressful and I do like have my superstitions. Like I feel like every time she comes, uh, she kind of joins me. In, if she kind of joins me like kind of mid game and the Blazers start doing really bad, I tell her like, okay, you need to leave room. Some, We're all some that bad way. Ju- There's some bad juju going on here. I got, <laughs> especially during the playoffs, it was a lot like that where, I would scream one second. She'd be like, oh, my God, what, like, what happened? And then, like, something disastrous would happen. Be like, why are you in here? This is not good. You're, you're, you're messing with the flow. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, the <laughs> the job has not um, swayed me of my superstition or my fandom by any means. Sorry, Fawad. I kind of went crazy yeah. on the question. Go for yeah, it. No, that's fine. That's, you're all good. Um, is there anything that you remember that was like really interesting to you or some surprising that um, I don't know, just caught your eye and you thought like uh, like most people, most fans wouldn't know? Um, you know, the, this I guess from a from a player from a tendency perspective, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, we didn't have the results. You know, I would do a quarter or two quarters, and there wasn't like a final result results page. I would be able to see and be like, oh, I didn't realize Tony Parker ran like you know, twenty pick and rolls in this game. You just kind of did them on the fly, and just you just kind of assume like, oh, that's a lot of pick and rolls. So, um, from an interesting notes perspective, you know. From you know what I said earlier, it's all about the destination, not the journey. When when you're doing tendency tracking, um, it was it was brutal doing the Spurs back then because the Spurs were prioritized on ball movement. You would have to start the action of like, hey, Tony Parker, you know, initially initiated a, a pick and roll with Tim Duncan, which would lead to like a ten to twelve passes afterwards, and you would have to track every single pass. In terms of like, oh, I went to Danny Green in the corner. He dribbled twice, kicked it out to Mono Ginobili. He drove to the corner, and then and and the person, the defender, came up and stopped him. And then he kicked it out to Tony Parker back in the corner. He drove in dish and then dumped it off to Tim Duncan. And it was just this string of plays that only resulted for one basket at a time. So, um, you know, it's and then the next day I would do like something like the Houston Rockets, where it's just like. Oh, it's just a pick and roll with James Harden. He just chucked it from 37 feet away. Um, and that was the play. And you just kind of move on. So from an interesting or things that we've always noted, I think it was kind of like how the game has changed significantly when it comes to rebounding. Um, you know, we would have to analyze every single rebound that took place. And you would see more surprising how many rebounds, you know, go outside of the paint um, because the, the, what the three-point shooting has done to this game in terms of how long rebounds have taken um, really emphasized, like, you know, wing rebounding or perimeter rebounding that, you know, typical bigs are not usually responsible for. 
Um, that's one of those things where you kind of slowly start realizing, especially after two years I w- I've been doing it, is you realize like long rebounding, you would see like, oh, Clay Thompson grabbed an offensive rebound that, you know, you wouldn't have expect that to happen um, even 10 years ago. So um, those are like the kind of the surprising things I've always noted. Um, but it's just kind of like the how different stars play um, is another thing, too. I, I mentioned top the, on top there how much James Harden is responsible for or like, uh, you know, the hometown favorite, uh, Dame, how much Dame is responsible, how much he creates on offense. Um, it's surely underappreciated, and especially a lot of casual casual uh, watchers. Sure. Makes total sense, too. So what's something that either the Blazers or your guys' team wanted to, like, wanted you guys to focus on that maybe the fan base or casual fans wouldn't even think was something that would be focused on? Or was there even something like that? No, there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis on, like, a... A, you know, a hypothesis that we would be given, like, hey, do teams run in, who run pick off, uh, pick and rolls instead of handoffs, do they do better than on offense? And, and, and there wasn't any kind of um, hypothesis that would be leaned down. We were strictly just report anything that would happen on the court. So there wasn't like this sure. whole, like, you know, uh, I keep saying hypothesis, but it was, it was there wasn't anything that would come down like a mandate of like, Hey, we are only going to watch pick and roll stuff. We don't care about um, handoffs or you know screening or anything like that. It was just kind of um, just kind of ebbs and flows of the game when you're doing um, you're watching tendencies. And so I think from a what you kind of originally asked, like, hey, is there, are there players better on paper or you know fans don't realize who are pretty good? Um, especially in the Blazers era, I was always excited when garbage time came on because I knew our second round picks were actually kind of good. Um, like that was the era of the Allen Crabs, the Pat Connaughton's, the layman's of the world. Yeah. Um, I always felt like when I watched them, I was like, you know what, if they were just given a chance, um, especially with like, you know, how, how, you know, how, um, frustrating, inconsistent, how Harkless and, uh, Alfred Camino were during those seasons of sure. like, uh, I feel like Jake Lehman could hit a shot here. Oh, I feel like uh, Alan Crabb could really make an impact. And, um, you know, we see a lot of success stories of, you know, our second round picks eventually breaking into the rotation during the third season and having an, uh, a pretty good year and then end up uh, getting the big bucks uh, elsewhere, like Alan Crabb, for example, when um, we traded off to Brooklyn after we matched his contract eventually. But, um, I think that's one of the things that a lot of people just don't realize, like the stats don't tell the whole story with some players. You kind of know, like the players are good, especially when I'd done my job for two years. Like I could tell like, Oh, Jake Lemon, he brings something to the court. He's not going to be, you know, the next LeBron, but he, he's kind of interesting. And so that's what always kind of intrigues me about, um, just watching any player, any team's draft choices of like, you know, there's talent on the bench that, you know, a lot of teams don't utilize because it's either it's fit or situational or whatever it could be. So um, stats don't tell at all. You really just got to watch the game, even in garbage times. So you can really tell players who don't go in the game and just think they have to take a, um, you know, as soon as they get their first pass, they, they, they jack up a shot. You kind of sure. want to look for players who actually still run the offense, even when either we're winning by 20 or down by 20 with only a minute left to go and the subs come in. You can kind of 
tell who's like a real pro and who's just kind of hoping they hit like a two, a three or, and so they said they did something in their net game. Well, and, and like you said, stats don't always necessarily mean as much as people take it. And which is why I find what you did so interesting because it's true just because these players can have these crazy statistics does not necessarily mean that that is equaling success on the court too. So when you analyze things, you know, more of a, when he goes to the right compared to the left, like those are stats that no one ever thinks of, but it really does make a difference. And I can tell you from myself playing basketball, I tend, when I go left, I tend to pull up a lot more. Whereas when I go right, I tend to drive more. And it's like, things that nobody probably realizes that's a casual fan or even me really i don't ever pay attention that close to what way people drive or you know what tendencies they have but it's just so interesting to know that that is something that every team takes in account when they're watching these games oh yeah you can certainly tell i mean for for the folks listening to this if you go to a high school game for example and just watch high schoolers warm up you know, if you're if you're on a on the high school team and you're watching the opposing team warm up and you're watching their star player, you could tell pretty quickly whether it's when, how they're shooting or how comfortable they are dribbling. You can tell like, hey, I can pick them apart. You know, um, you know, especially when I play pickup. Um, and as I said uh, from the start of this podcast, I kind of developed a little bit too uh, too late for my high school. Um, career to kind of take off, but I think I'm a pretty good player now, especially playing with a, uh, um, you know, with college adults and everything like sure. that. But um, you can kind of realize, like, oh, you know, players aren't used to, you know, splitting, you know, splitting the screen, for example, or you can tell a player like really likes driving with their dominant hand, and what happens when you force them to go on their left hand? It's usually pretty disastrous. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely harder on the NBA level because these players are so skilled where it's like, yeah. you feel like they can do anything and it's like, okay, but um, it's the players that you realize don't have that certain skill set. It's like, if you ever watch Killian Hayes for the Pistons, for example, he has no left hand still. And it's one of those things where you kind of like, as a casual fan, you can kind of probably recognize like, Oh yeah, it is kind of hard to develop your your offhand when you're not used to it. And even the pros have this problem. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that 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 was a lot of it. It was just like, um, you kind of know what players could do, and that was a lot of the frustrating stuff too. It's like I would scream at the TV watching Warriors games when the Blazers would play them, and be like, I would know about five seconds ahead of time what Steph Curry would do off a pick off a certain <laughs> pick and roll coverage. And I would scream at the at my TV, be like, "Aim, he's 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 going to pull up. He's just going to pull up. Why are you sagging off?" Or like, like Myers would would cover him, and like Myers would like back up all the way to the key. I'm going, "That's Steph Curry. What are you doing, dude? Why, <laughs> why are you That's doing this?" Amazing. And so it's kind of the curse of uh, the curse of being this hyper, you know, aware what players are doing on the court and the frustration sure. you get of like man, these, this is your job. If you're, you know, the Myers Leonard's of the world, or even like, you know, I would criticize Dame too. It's just like, you know, ha- you know, you can, you can really succeed a lot in your career. If you just knew a little bit more about the scouting of these players, I mean, there's not much, much you can do with Steph Curry when he shoots a three anyways, but yeah. it's like reducing that impact of like, guys, like why, when you, when, <laughs> 
if if a pick and roll is happening with Steph Curry, nobody should leave Steph Curry. Like the like if Afrik Aminu is covering that screen on the on the roller, and Afrik doesn't pick him up and it ends up being a three, it's like, man, like I I have sympathy for Scott uh, for Stotts at times because I'm just realizing like there's there's only so much a coach can do and the players you have to play the players eventually. It's just I, I could totally um, sympathize with some of the coaching staff must feel, especially for game planning. Super interesting. I I wish I could like relate to that and just uh, be able to know what the players are doing ahead of time. Um, kind of going back to something you said earlier, like you said, you focused only on um, like the teams that were we were about to play. Like come that were that were coming up. So was there another team that focused on watching the Blazers and see where what the our own players' tendencies were, or was that just like the main coaching staff, or how did that work? If you know, no, I I don't know the actual details. If there was a, you know, I would imagine probably my 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 manager probably coordinated. He probably did the Blazers games in terms of making sure all the data is correct and it's accurate and everything like that. Um, throughout the season, when we do games, we always got feedback from our from our manager. Be like, oh, you know, you missed you missed this coverage. Like it wasn't a pick and roll. It started off with the handoff and making sure that um, we're crossing our T's at the end of the day, make sure we're getting the right statistics down. So there wasn't no, it's probably it was probably the coaching staff that would definitely probably review up uh, game film with the players themselves. You probably see that during um, when players talk on interviews or even you see photos on planes when they're traveling. You always see players with their iPads or their laptops with assistant coaches or um, with other players kind of like digesting what they're doing. So I would imagine. Um, you know, the main coordinator, uh, video coordinators doing that, but it's probably a lot of the time. It's probably, uh, sell, uh, players themselves digesting how they're doing on the, um, on game film. You know, it wouldn't surprise me that, you know, players would watch their own highlights. Like, Oh, I'm sure Dame probably watches when he got 50 against OKC, like almost every day I would, if I, if I were him, but you know, these players become so much better when they realize what they're doing wrong on the court too. So, exactly. you know, you don't, you don't, when you're watching on YouTube, it's not exactly you're seeing like, Oh, there isn't exactly a, a super popular highlight film of Dame missing pick and roll coverages or like easy things like, why do you take a charge there? Or why did you double team this person? Why'd you lay off that? So a lot of the times I would imagine it's a lot of players, you know, owning that to themselves to get better. Because like I said, game film does not lie. A, a player can say, oh, you know, I, I totally thought I, I had the right coverage there. And then you look at look at the uh, the replay a little bit later and they go, oh, shit, that was probably not a good thing to do. Exactly. Um, and so, like I, said, you can, and like I said, you can really tell which players actually do that and actually, actually learn um, from their mistakes. Um, unlike probably some players in the league where you realize, like, Man, he keeps doing the same thing. It's really frustrating. Um, and it, it would be like throughout the season and be like, man, that's that's kind of disappointing. Kind of like kind of like the Myers Leonard uh, uh, syndrome. It's like, man, Myers, why don't you shoot the three? You're really good at shooting threes, but man, he hesitates every single time. Even every though he's time. 15. Every single time. It takes and forever to shoot. It takes forever to shoot, but it was a beautiful shot. I mean, because how big he was, it was just line drives into the basket. It was yep. beautiful. Yep. Um, I'm just glad his his uh, 
I mean, knock on wood, it's Myers Leonard. He, he definitely did not have a great season this year for <laughs> off the court, but um, it was kind of like a big slap in the face when he had that Warriors moment of oh. like when he scored 37 oh. or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> okay, that's cool. You had, you had, so your you Andre could do Bond. that. Yeah. You, yeah. You could do that. Okay. <laughs> that's cool, man. That was, that was, even though we lost that, that's such a like, fun funny game to go back and watch just knowing what he did in that game it's just like we've had him for so many years and it's like this is finally him doing it and now he's not even with us yeah it's it's, that game is typically on my rotating games i kind of watch every year i know i have a set of brandon roy games and definitely definitely more than enough damian lillard games where i have on a rotating playlist when i'm working my nine to five job where I just play in the background, be like, Oh, that's cool. Brandon Royce, you know, um, 50, 52 against Phoenix is in there. And then, but I'll have like the random ones. Like some of my favorite ones are actually like the Jake Lehman, um, eruptions he had against the, like the Pelicans where he scored like 25 in the quarter that one time or, yeah. or the, was the Myers Leonard game <laughs> where he, he finally throws it down. He has that weird celebration when he throws it down on Draymond green at the end of that, on the end of that great of the game is like totally encompasses Myers. I remember that too. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, like I said, it's like the really random highlights uh, that I kind of have stored in the back of my mind where I always go, Hey, if I want to feel happy, I'll watch games 50 against OKC. That's always kind of my, my go-to, but like, I will even watch like the, um, I remember like the CJ game he had against Minnesota when Dame was out and he almost had a triple double. And that was yep. like, and that was like one of those things where it's like, <clears throat> EJ, why don't you just try to do that yes. every game with Dame playing? Why don't yes. you be more of a playmaker? Like, and you're drawing fouls and you were, you were just awesome. And then the next game, Dame comes back and you're just kind of like, not, not, not that player anymore. So scoring. Um, yeah. yeah I always scoring. say that like CJ without Dame is completely different player than the, than the CJ we see normally. I'm hoping uh, Billups is able to unlock that playmaking side of him more regularly. But I don't know. I hope that every offseason and it never really happens, so we'll see. Well, with that being said, let's move into this this uh, last little set of questions here. How do you feel, Pierce, about this coming season? Well, you know, viewer discretion, I, I don't I wanna make sure people don't know I'm I'm Neil Neil O'Shea when I say this. Um <laughs> I feel like this offseason, I feel like this is going to be the best team in the Dame era this season. Um, I honestly agree with you. Honestly. I, 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 you know, it's, um, it's definitely controversial, but it's like one of those deals where I kind of cringe too, going like, ah, shit, Neil didn't really have a whole lot of options this offseason to kind of do it, do anything about our situation, our predicament. And it's like, you know, from, the outside looking in, it's like okay, we're we're kind of doing our best, but you know, I'm I'm truly excited for this season. Um, you know, from an analytical standpoint, our starting our starting lineup, which is coming back this this season, was one of the best starting lineups of last season. We had I think like the fourth or fifth best net rating in the entire league with Game CJ Norm Roko uh, Covington and uh, Nurk. 
um, and then our bench would just fall apart. And that kind of leads me to why I was super excited with the additions of um, Larry Nance to um, uh, Cody Zellers, the the development of uh, Nazir Little. Um, you know, if you saw the highlight of today, Nazir Little shooting threes today on their Twitter page, yeah. it looks really good. Um, and so, you know, last season was certainly disappointing, but I understand it from a just a day to day what players had to go through. I don't think a COVID season is not something to just, you know, say, oh, you know, they didn't just have fans in the stands. They had the logistics of every player who were. And they would travel, you know, to the East Coast on back-to-backs and everything like that. They couldn't just go to bed right away. They would have to get their COVID test at 5 in the morning as soon as they get into the hotel. And that's a, certainly a process of itself. Um, when you go to opposing cities, you're not allowed to do anything like they typically do, whether those are press events or Nike events or even just going to the, the James Harden special, going to strip clubs. Um <laughs> No, I, I really feel for the players. I think it really took a toll on them. It definitely took a toll on probably the coaching staff too. So sure. as disappointing as it was last season and certainly changes need to be made. Um, I'm really excited for this season. You know, as much as I love Melo and Cantor from personality standpoint, like as we talked about earlier about watching certain uh, players highlights to kind of make me feel happy. I always go back to that Cantor 30, 30 game. Yeah. Like, was that kind of peak canter he's always going to be on our record books and i'm glad he is because he's definitely a hard-working dude a man he cannot play a lick of defense to save his Not life is super fr- frustrating so like as as you know non-exciting as it is to sign like the the backup center in charlotte of cody zeller or i guess he was starting at times but he's a really good player from an analytics standpoint if you if you're interested in taking a look at those things um, he's, he's this like, kind of like a non canter all-star like, he's really good at defense in terms of stripping, um, knows his positions can actually kind of guard wings or sorry, guard, uh, guards off the pick and roll to a reasonable degree instead of just letting him walk into the lane like canter does. And then like some of the offensive, pre- uh, offensive, like, yes, 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 no shots that Mello would take during our second bench units will kind of be distributed with Larry Nance and, like, whoever our third guard uh, who stays in the game, whether that's CJ or Norm or even Dame. Um, I think our offensive continuity throughout the bench is just going to be so much better than last year because I I can remember half a dozen times where we would end the first quarter, you know, up by 10, and then within two minutes to go in the second, or with two minutes that went through the second in the second quarter with 10 minutes left it would be down by like nine again be like well yep. shit because we can't we can't play defense or exactly and i i get the limitations people were screaming about harry giles can save this team but man harry giles was not the savior <laughs> that <laughs> everyone kind of wished he thought he was or he could be he was he was kind of a mess too um so yeah that's what i'm super excited about and like i said the nazir little development um i would say like keep an eye on that that might be our you know gary trent um kind of all-star this year in terms of kind of kind of is brought up because of situation i think he's going to be really good especially under um chauncey billups which i think you know isn't really talked about but i think chauncey is going to bring the biggest addition to this team i really you know 
you know, outside the off-court issues that, you know, Blazers kind of really um, wish they could have done better announcing Chauncey's uh, arrival. But, you know, the difference between what he's been saying and what Stotts' philosophy for years um, makes me really excited for this upcoming season. As well, as as long as we try to stay healthy. That's always the knock yep. on wood. Just, just stay yep. healthy. Larry Nance, Cody Zeller, God, Nurk, CJ, like... <laughs> Just, just make it to the postseason healthy, my my dudes. Like this, like I said, I, I feel like, like I said, I told you, I might sound like Neil O'Shea, but um, this might be. I feel like the Blazers are kind of destined for like a pretty good situation this west this season, especially with the Western Conference in what probably is as weak as it is since since we've been kind of in the playoffs. I mean, we have the Lakers; their average age is like forty. Clippers don't have Kawhi. The the Warriors are without play until Christmas, and we don't know what they're they're relying on rookies for those part. I mean, Steph is amazing, but Steph can't be you know amazing all throughout. You you saw last year in the playoff plan game, like there's limitation in that roster. I mean, I think Utah is still going to be really good, but like this idea that Luca and the the Mavericks are going to be super good. I would, I would, that's a hard, I would, I I need to see it to believe it. I think that team is, that team kind of feels like uh, LeBron in the cast when he was his first stint. Like you have this really amazing player, but they can't add players around him or, you know, they're adding players who just don't, don't match with Luca, like KP, for example, or uh, Christoph Porzingis. So, um, like I said, you know, the East Coast is definitely a juggernaut with, you know, Brooklyn and everything like that. But it really feels like the Blazers, if they just trust in the process and Dame is on board with this. I know Dame was frustrated last season, but I really think like we're going to hit the this year running and we may we may see ourselves in that three, the two seed um, most throughout most of the season, barring injury. And I like that outlook. Uh, Fawad, do you have anything you want to add before we wrap this up? Um, I was just going to comment on that's like some high expectations, like second or third seed. I'm a fan of Olshay as well. Like I was thinking maybe five or six, but I hope you're right. Um, other than that, I don't think I have any more questions. It was really fun listening to everything you had to say. Um, Alex, do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, I'm. I like you said, Pierce. Uh, Nasir Little is one of the biggest I think if he can develop what we think he can and what it looks like he can I think that's going to be the biggest addition to us and that's going to help us out even more uh, before we wrap it up do you have anything you want to add Pierce? No not at all you know this podcast is awesome you know I'm glad I came across it on the uh, Blazers subreddit um, listeners if you're obviously listening to this uh, please definitely share it with your friends um, even join in. I know uh, these guys have the listeners podcast where anybody can kind of participate. So, um, you know, definitely, um, definitely keep up the good work, guys. I really enjoy it. Um, and if anybody's listening to this or is super interested in knowing more about the Blazers and how I got my job and everything like that, um, more than happy to kind of expand upon the, uh, on that um, if there needs to be any follow-up episodes or anything like that. But um, like I said, guys, thanks for having me on. It's uh, always great to talk about Blazers. Hey, we we appreciate you you saying what you just said there, and uh, we really appreciate you coming in and talking. I mean, I know it's 
I'm sure you probably get asked that a thousand times what how it was, but we appreciate it. It's you know it's awesome to listen to those experiences, and uh, I, I just want to thank you for coming in and doing this with us. And I hope to have you back again. Yeah, no sweat. I would, uh, you know, just, just how fun this was. I definitely imagine a couple podcasts throughout the season of how silly my expectations were. Hey, that um, works for me. <laughs> when uh, when the inevitable, uh, like whatever injury happens or whatever player isn't performing well, if a uh, Nurk isn't the Nurk that we would hope, or even Chauncey is, I can imagine already a couple of nightmare scenarios happening, but like I said, I'm optimistic in nature and hopefully, um, uh, Fawad, when, um, I know you're a Toronto native, hopefully, hopefully you're able to come into Portland where we're, uh, champ, uh, parading down the street with a championship this season. <laughs> Love it. I'll- Book my plane ticket in advance. <laughs> okay, well, Pierce, I appreciate you coming. We're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, as always, if you guys, you know, want to join in on the conversations, you can join our Discord. You can follow us on Twitter. You can give us questions, give us takes. And like Pierce mentioned earlier, we always do these listener episodes where you can come in and talk with us. Uh, other than that, I hope you guys have a great night, Pierce. Once again, thanks for joining and talking with us. And as always, Rip City, baby. <laughs> <laughs>